Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having a fantastic Monday. I had an amazing time. I was down in Atlanta, went to six straight Atlanta Braves games. Then I took my kids right before school starts. My third grader went back to school today. Uh, I took my kids to Dollywood, to East Tennessee, to the Soaky Mountain Water Park, uh, to uh, uh, Pirate Dinner Spectacular, and we rode all sorts of fun rides uh, in East Tennessee, Pigeon Forge, and Gatlinburg. I had an amazing time. Met a lot of you in Atlanta and there. I now am up in New York City for the launch of my new book, American Playbook. I was on Fox and Friends this morning. You may have heard me talk about it on Clay and Buck. I will be on Sean Hannity tonight talking about it. And I am doing a signing at Bookends in Ridgewood, New Jersey tonight on Wednesday I will be uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. On Thursday, I will be in Atlanta. I will share the location for those signings. That's this week. I'm also going to Salt Lake City, to Houston, Texas, to Tampa, Florida, to Nashville, my hometown, and Milwaukee. Those are in the days ahead. But I want to start with this. Um, I want to tell you a story. And I wrote about this story up on OutKick. Some of you may have seen it. When I wrote my first book, and I know a bunch of you probably have read that book, it's called Dixieland Delight, came out in 2007, I was 28 years old, and I was super excited to have done my first book, and I went on a book tour. And I had something happen to me that I bet happens to almost every author, certainly happens to almost every musician, every comedian. I went to an event, and no one showed up, Okay. I haven't done a big book tour since Dixieland Delight. Uh, I think book tours in general are a bit out of vogue. But I went to Fultondale, Alabama, to a Books a Million there in December. I drove down from Nashville. I drove back. I spent two hours sitting there. Not one person bought a book. Not one person got my autograph. If you have never been in a situation where you are selling something and nobody buys it, you have no idea how much time you have to actually contemplate all of your life's choices. To sit there and wonder, what in the world are you doing? Now, I was only 28 at the time, but I really do remember what that felt like. So if you don't remember anything else from today's Outkick the Show, I would encourage you, if you are ever in a bookstore, for the rest of your life, and you see somebody trying to sell a book, even if you have zero interest in that book, go buy it. Because putting yourself out there and going to a bookstore and putting yourself out there for a public event and having no one show up, it's really humbling. And I had that experience 16 years ago. I still remember exactly what it felt like. And I resolved while I was sitting there. I said, I will buy every book 
that I ever see someone selling in a bookstore with no crowd there. And I don't mean stand in line if there's hundreds of people there. It's popular author. I'm talking about somebody who has put their heart and soul into writing a book. No one shows up. It is incredibly, incredibly crushing. And I will tell you from karma alone, it will pay off for you if you buy the book, even if you have no interest, get the author to buy uh, to sign it. Now, I also want to say this. Uh, during that experience, only one person came that I remember and even picked up the book, and she was an Auburn fan. And if you remember Dixieland Delight, it had Tennessee, it had Georgia, it had Alabama, and it had Florida on the front cover. Now, Dixieland Delight was about going around at the time to all 12 SEC football schools and writing about the experience. And when I wrote about that experience, that book, I loved it, but the Auburn fan looked at it, said, I'm paraphrasing basically, if you'd put us on the cover, I would have bought it. She put it back down. Nobody ever bought it that day in Fultondale, Alabama, in Birmingham. One of the lessons that I think I have learned, and this is important to impart in general, most people fear failure more than they crave success. And those of you who've read or watched or paid attention to my career over time, you know, one of the reasons I did wins and losses, which a lot of you would enjoy, it's long-form interviews, is because we spend a lot of time talking about wins. We spend very little time talking about losses or challenging moments in everyone's career. doesn't matter what you do for a living. Perseverance is going to be required. It's not always going to be an incredible success story. Failure makes people uncomfortable it isn't talked about as much as success because there's a fear that in talking about failure somehow you're going to end up colored by that failure but what i will tell you is the losses in my life the failures in my life i learn far more from than i do from the successes and from the wins so i hope you guys will go buy this book i would love to put it on the new york times bestseller list we're going to have to sell a ton of copies in order for that to happen because new york times doesn't want to put conservative right-wing books on the bestsellers list we have to sell double triple maybe even quadruple what everybody else does to get on that list so i look forward to meeting a lot of you i hope you'll go buy american playbook uh as we sit here the book will be available everywhere beginning tomorrow uh, and I look forward to all of you hopefully being able to be entertained by this book. The goal is to write a book that leads to, in some way at least, uh, America getting back to sanity and America getting back to normal. And I think if this roadmap were followed in 2024, it would lead to a landslide election. There's lots of sports in it. There's lots of pop culture. If you out there are having trouble getting your kids to read, I think they may well enjoy it. The goal is to be smart, funny, original, authentic, to be entertaining, uh, and to make people enjoy the process of the book. So I would encourage all of you, go get a copy of American Playbook. It should be everywhere, uh, including Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, everywhere you can think of online, but also in your local bookstore. Uh, and I would also, again, encourage you, if nothing else, next time you see an author in a bookstore with nobody else around them go buy a book uh trust me i've been there it's brutal uh all right we got a lot to talk about u.s women lost in penalty kicks to sweden uh on early sunday morning in united states time zones uh and megan rapino airmailed a kick to the far right interestingly 
in the penalty kick situation that it was a prime reason why the United States ended up losing. Um, and this is a big deal, okay? This is a really big deal to, uh, to think about. Um, what happened? I was at the U.S. women winning the World Cup in 2015 with all of my kids. We were in the crowd in Vancouver, Canada. It was an amazing pro-America crowd. The U.S. women's soccer team in 2015 was one of the most beloved teams in American sports history. Everybody loved those girls. What happened from 2015 to 2023 when a huge percentage of the American public doesn't actually support or root for the American women. I think, unfortunately, they got woke. And Megan Rapino let them off the cliff. And when I say let them off the cliff, I mean, she went from having a team that everybody loved to, you remember this, in 2019, they refused a trip to the White House to meet with Donald Trump. And I believe many Americans never got over that. Because if you represent your U.S. national team and you get the opportunity to go meet the president to celebrate your 2019 win, I think everybody felt like, by and large, that's something the American team should do. Again, you're representing the United States of America. And so when you actually analyze this, I think what happened is the team never played up to its talent. They had a lot of individuals who were focused on their own worldviews and unfortunately using soccer as a political platform as opposed to a platform for which it was designed, which is to win a championship. The U.S. women were favored to win and they had the worst performance in uh, U.S. Women's World Cup history. They were lucky to even advance to the knockout stage and then once they got to the knockout stage, they only scored no goals in regulation, one goal in the last three games. What happened? I think the woke nature of their uh, of their political stance became toxic to the overall uh, uh, brand of the team. They played as individuals, and I think Megan Rapino led them into a disaster. Rapino was asked afterwards what she was most proud of in her career. She said equal pay. And I think this is an important lesson. First of all, she didn't say she was proud of something they did on the field. She said she was proud of something they did off the field. But here's the deal. U.S. women receive a massive amount of pay because of United States exceptionalism. The reason why our women's soccer team is really good, as many of you will recognize, is because we actually let women have full human rights. You can pick almost every winner in women's soccer solely by analyzing which team has more basic human rights. Because if you can't wear shorts or go watch a soccer match or drive a car or own property or go get an education, it's unlikely you're going to be very good at soccer either. Because being good at sports is a luxury. It is a luxury that capitalism provides, particularly as it pertains to women, because men by and large, around the world, if they are supremely talented, are able to develop their full talents. The reason why the U.S. women didn't get paid as much as the U.S. men was not because America was sexist. It was because the FIFA World Cup produces far more money for men than it does for women. 
In fact, women get a higher share of the revenue produced by the FIFA World Cup than men do. It's just a fraction as much because the vast majority of people around the world care way more about men's than women's athletics. Imagine the impact. If Megan Rapino had stood on the national stage, the international stage, and said, America's imperfect, but it's the best country in the history of the world, and our team is a testament to America's exceptionalism. The reason why we are excellent is because we have been able to obtain full educations and because we've been able to play soccer at a high level starting at the age of five and because women have more basic human rights in America than they do in most of the countries around the world. Particularly for Megan Rapinoe, this would have been compelling because many nations actually criminalize her being a lesbian. Some nations actually still punish with death the fact that that someone is a lesbian. Megan Rapino is incredibly fortunate. She is able to become a multimillionaire because of American exceptionalism. She is able to live her full and free life as a lesbian woman because of the human rights that America provides to all men, women, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, gay, or straight. That doesn't mean that America's perfect. But it does mean that if the rest of the world followed America's lead, not only would women have more basic rights around the world, but they probably, as a result, would also be better at soccer. Now, that's not a message that was shared by the U.S. women's team. If it had been, I think the women would have been just as popular in 2023 as they were in 2015. And more significantly, on the field, I think they would have been far more successful. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. It's now time, as the Megan Rapinos of the world step off the stage, for the U.S. women's soccer team to make a choice. Do we want to be champions or do we want to be political activists? Because the evidence supports that you can't do both at a high level. And if you doubt me, just look at the results from the U.S. women's team where they performed the worst in the history of women. And if you wonder how much political this is, uh, this is what Joe Biden said. At U.S. Women's National Team, you've made your country proud. Congratulations on an incredible run. This team is something special, and I'm looking forward to seeing how you continue to inspire Americans with your grit and determination on and off the field. This is the equivalent of a participation trophy. The women were awful. They performed and failed at the highest level in Women's World Cup history. They should be ridiculed based on how cocky, arrogant, and condescending they were to the rest of America. Will they be treated to that, or will they be protected by left-wing media and left-wing politicians who try to argue, oh, it's sexist or homophobic to attack these women? I think it's actually sexist and homophobic not to attack these women, because we should be holding, given what they're paid and given the expectations, these women to the same standard that we hold highly paid and highly trained and highly compensated and highly cocky American male athletes. You want to be paid 
and treated with equality, well, then you better be prepared to handle the slings and arrows of condemnation when you perform at a really poor level. Uh, Okay, over the weekend, I was at Dollywood Friday. Amazing time, by the way. Dollywood was great. The Travis boys really enjoyed it. I hadn't been there since it was called Silver Dollar City. But while I was there, the entire college football universe shifted on its axis. Oregon and Washington left for the Big Ten. Uh, The Big 12 lost Arizona State, Utah, uh, joining Colorado and Arizona. It's a seismic shift. The Pac-12 effectively ceased to exist. People say, okay, what's the big impact? And I understand people out there, look, I feel for you, Oregon State. I feel for you, Washington State. I feel for you, Cal and Stanford fans. You're the only four teams left in the Pac-12. You're looking around wondering what's happened. But Oregon and Washington joining USC and UCLA, I think is a good addition for the Big Ten. For the Big 12, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado, four major additions to that conference. What happens now? To me, the biggest impact going forward is they're going to have to recalibrate the way that the 12 playoff teams are selected. Because if you analyze it, there's no room, in my opinion, for six AQ champions any longer. I've been making this argument since we started. I would suggest that we should just take the top 12 teams in the final college football playoff rankings and eliminate the idea of including conference champions Uh, because almost all the time if you win a conference championship you will be ranked in the top 12 my concern is that you could end up with somehow a team that's eight and four ends up being nine and four wins the conference championship might be ranked 20th overall has no business playing in the college football playoff but I think a couple of impacts I think the Rose Bowl will end up being a SEC versus Big Ten game going forward now that there's no Pac-12 representative, and I think that will make the Rose Bowl even more popular. I also think uh, that the Big Ten and the SEC are continuing to distance themselves from the rest of college football, and I believe they will overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly favor the top 12 teams because now you got an 18-team Big Ten, you got a 16-team SEC, and they're going to be looking around saying, hey, Five teams might make sense coming out of our conference in any given year. And I think they're right. You could end up in a situation where, I really believe this, you could have five SEC, five Big Ten, or six SEC, four Big Ten, and you could end up with, let's say, uh, Clemson or Florida State in the ACC, and then whomever wins the Big 12 championship, and that is your 12. Okay? That, to me, is probably going to become very likely. I don't think it's crazy to contemplate that the SEC and the Big Ten could now take nine or even ten of the playoff spots on a yearly basis and that the rest of college football would get two. And that's presuming, by the way, this is a longer-form discussion we could have, what the future of the ACC ends up being, because it seems quite clear that Florida State is not very happy being where they are. Uh, All right, several other stories. Trump legal analysis on Jan 6th. To me, this is a big deal. 
What they are trying to do, and you may have noticed me on Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday, I ducked out of the Atlanta Braves game. No, sorry, it was, uh, it was yeah, it was Wednesday. I think that's right. Uh, I ducked out of the Atlanta Braves game, and I went on the Jesse Waters show to break down uh, what was going on uh, in this uh, January 6th related endeavor and how crazy it was. And uh, and I was there because I said, look, this is all madness. Okay. Uh, and by the way, it wasn't it wasn't Wednesday. It was uh, yeah, I guess it was Wednesday. Anyway, I went on Jesse Waters. Let me explain what exactly is going on here. We are in a situation. I guess it was Tuesday night. We are in a situation right now where what is going on is Jack Smith and the Joe Biden Department of Justice. They are trying to actually rig the system by criminalizing the legal advice that Donald Trump got. And I actually would say this. In general, I believe that the Trump legal defense is missing the ball here because people are focusing on the First Amendment. And I understand that, and that's an argument. But really, at its essence, what they're trying to do is criminalize the advice that Donald Trump got. And look, here's the deal. If you've ever sat around a table with lawyers... Lawyers analyze probability all the time. They say, this argument may work. This argument might not work. We don't know exactly how this is going to play out. And so lawyers give a variety of perspectives. It's why oftentimes in pleas, uh, in pleadings before the court, you will see, hey, X is the argument. And if not X, then Y is the argument. And if not Y, then Z is the argument. You toss out a bunch of legal theories and you see which one sticks. They change the law on what the role of the vice president is in December of 2022, last year. If this were not an uncertain legal issue, if there were not a colorable claim, if there were not an ambiguity afoot, why would they change the law in December of 2022 about what the vice president's role is to reinforce that it is just a ministerial role and that he has no actual power. That ambiguity is reflected in the fact that they changed the law based on the 1887 law that Trump believed the vice president had the power to reject the electors. You may not agree with that, but it is a legitimate legal argument because they had to change the law to take away the argument that that legal possibility existed at all. To me, these charges as a result of conspiracy are dead on arrival because the argument that Trump put forward was a legally valid claim that has now been rectified based on Congress changing the law. And so what Jack Smith is attempting to do is criminalize legal advice. Trump relied on the legal advice of attorneys. It may have been aggressive. It may have been expansive. It may have been a low probability success rate, but that's how the law works. You sometimes make legal arguments that are unlikely to win. Heck, that's basically what a dissent is. It's a minority opinion that at some point the hope is becomes the majority opinion. That's how legal process works. Ideas that are in the minority may someday become in the majority because they are advocated for. Gay marriage is a good example. In 1992, the Supreme Court would have laughed out of the courtroom the idea that gay people could get married. By the time Oberfell came down, 
and they changed the ruling to allow gay marriage to exist, a majority had bought into what had past been a minority legal argument that there was protection for gay marriage in the United States. To me, the legal argument that Trump's uh, attorneys gave to him provides 100% defense to any criminal behavior associated with the charges brought by Jack Smith. And I believe the Supreme Court will ultimately will ultimately endorse the argument that I am making to you right now and say that there is absolutely no legal basis to bring charges of conspiracy against Trump because he was relying on the advice of legal counsel, which was a reasoned, rational advice, which have clear evidence was based in a legal ambiguity because they changed the law to try to remove it going forward. I think that's significant. Uh, Facebook has been rigging the elections based on the Hunter Biden case. And I want to reinforce this because I do think it's very significant. Okay, When you look at the evidence, the FBI knew the Hunter Biden laptop was real. I keep coming back to this because it is the integral moment in which the FBI decided to rig the election for Joe Biden. If you look at the evidence, the FBI 100% knew that the Hunter Biden laptop was real. And therefore, they knew that the New York Post story about the Hunter Biden laptop was real. What did they do? Jim Jordan bringing out evidence today that the FBI told Facebook that they had no comment on whether the laptop was real or not. They allowed 51 intelligence agents to put forward the biggest disinformation campaign in modern American political history. By the way, where are the charges against those 51 people, Jack Smith? They were rewarded for their lies. Many of them now work in the Biden administration. And on top of that, many of them still have national security clearance. How is that possible when we know that they've worked to rig an election? How is it possible that the FBI, which claims that it wants to root out misinformation, disinformation, lies from the American political process, didn't let it be known that the laptop was 100% real? In fact, they did the opposite. They let the illusion that this was not real take root and allowed censorship of the Hunter Biden story. And there is data that reflects that if the American public had been aware of the Hunter Biden laptop, Donald Trump would have won the election comfortably in 2020. As is, he only lost the election by about 20,000 votes. All you would need to do was change about 20,000 of those votes. Jim Jordan came on the Clay and Buck show today. He is providing tangible evidence of Facebook rigging the election based on the lies that were put forward by the FBI. Should be the number one story in America. Joe Biden, the rigging of the election, the Biden crime family in general, it makes Watergate look like jaywalking. Most media still out there ignoring it. Finally, Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom are going to debate. Time and place remains to be determined. I think that this is a smart move by both Gavin Newsom and by Ron DeSantis because it will allow a full debate to exist between Florida and California and over who did a better job of governing their states during the COVID era. Now, I think the evidence is pretty clear. California's lost population in a substantial way. 
For the first time since it became a state in 1850, California is losing population. Meanwhile, the state of Florida is growing faster than almost any state in America, adding more residents. I will be watching this debate. I look forward to where it's going to occur. I believe uh, that uh, the DeSantis campaign has said they'd be fine doing the debate in Georgia or Iowa. Uh, I think the Newsom campaign has also said that they think Georgia makes sense. Date to be determined. Uh, but I believe that this will be must-watch television. I look forward to checking it out. I look forward to seeing, hopefully, a bunch of you at bookends in Ridgewood, New Jersey tonight. I would encourage you to go buy a copy of American Playbook. I'd like to get this on the New York Times bestseller list. The book is officially released tomorrow. It will be on in bookstores everywhere. For those of you out there who say, okay, why does it matter? Clay, why do you care if it's on the New York Times list? That's a good question. The answer is because that will require the book to be placed in the front of many bookstores all over the country. I want as many people as possible to be able to see this book, to be able to see the arguments, and I want to make sure that we end up with a big landslide win in 2024, which sweeps out the woke virus, which has infected the American body politic. I love all of you. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP, I will be with you tomorrow doing a live discussion about the book during Outkick the Show. And I appreciate all the support that you guys have shown me. Look forward to seeing you on the road over the next few weeks. This has been Outkick the Show.